Welcome back, guys, to episode nine, I believe this is, yeah, nine of the Weekly Juice podcast. Uh, my name is Corey Jacobson. I'm joined by my co-host, Ryan Bevilacqua, and today we have uh, a really, really special guest on, uh, somebody that I look up to, and I've mentioned, he doesn't know this, but I've mentioned him as a mentor of mine in previous episodes, and uh, it's, a, it's a funny story how Chris and I met. Um, I, Chris actually worked with me at my family's business as our director of operations. He was hired probably maybe like two years ago at this point or a year and a half ago. And I always tell people that on previous episodes, we've talked about how you just kind of put your message into the universe. And I always was talking about real estate and wanted to get into it. And I literally one day in the cafeteria was introducing myself to him. And like literally our first conversation was like, somehow real estate came up and he was like a light bulb clicked and he's like yeah like we need to talk about this <laughs> um so you know, it turns out that chris owns uh, i i would say around a dozen he'll let you know somewhere around between 10 and 20 i think rentals between michigan and new jersey and he's only been in real estate for like the past five years so it's wow. like he's had this amazing story of growth and he's a really kind of a speed to market guy so i think our listeners are going to uh, you know, they're really going to want to hear how did this guy build this quickly and, and what is he all about? And he's a big financial independence guy. So, um, you want me to bring him in? Right yeah. Now? Yeah. So let's introduce Chris here. Cool. Uh, without further ado, Chris Philbrick, uh, is joining us here. Can you, can you hear us, Chris? I can hear you just fine. Awesome. Uh, thanks for coming on. Really appreciate it. But I, I guess the first thing that we want to do here is just, just tell people a little bit about yourself, you know, where you're from. I mentioned Michigan and New Jersey, but you're originally from Michigan, right? That's correct. Yep. Yeah. I was born and raised in Michigan, uh, kind of a rural area, and um, went to college in the Detroit area, and then uh, married a young gal uh, from Philadelphia. Yeah. And oh, been there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she, she, uh, after living in Michigan for 14 years, she decided to drag me out here to New Jersey. So a little culture shock, but yeah, it's all been good. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. I actually didn't know that you went to school in Michigan. I knew you grew up in Detroit, but for people that have heard me reference one of my mentors as like the, the handy guy, like Chris yes. literally came over to my house when I, my, my power was going out and he came over to my house and he was like, Hmm, like assess the situation in three seconds and was like, Oh, you need a new circuit breaker. And he like went down, I bought it on Amazon. He came down hot, like hot, hot <laughs> yeah. just like fixed it. I was like, this guy's a lifesaver. So I've said thank you a hundred times, but I'll say it again. So I, I'm, anyway, don't, don't try this at home. <laughs> you know, literally like I was like, are we going to be good? He's like, yeah, we're fine. <laughs> like, it, was, it was crazy. So, um, yeah, so I, I mean, it's, it's good to hear your background. I guess one of the, the questions that Ryan and I and, you know, our audience probably have for you is what got you into the financial independence movement? Uh, you know, what is your vision for that? And like, when did the fire kind of start for you? Well, I can tell you that I always had kind of a drive to want more. Um, I grew up in a lower middle class family. And I just, I always, always thought that there was more to life. And 
Um, my parents kind of had a, a scarcity mentality, you know, like going to McDonald's was like, that was like a big deal when I was a kid. Yeah. And whenever we'd travel and we did a lot of traveling, we would drive and we would see a lot of the country, but we just, we, I never, you know, we wouldn't stop at like a convenience store and get stuff. We always went to the grocery store and bought, excuse me, bought stuff and took it with us. Yeah. So there was really this scarcity mentality, like, you know, we only have so much and there's only so much to go around. And it was really trying to, trying to overcome that and say, well, how come so many other people can have so much more? What makes me different? I'm smart. My dad's smart. I'm handy. We can do a lot of things, but what really, you know, separates the haves from the have nots. And we were by no means have nots, but we were by no means, you know, could we just pick up and do whatever we wanted to do whenever we wanted to do it. And that was really kind of the vision that I had um, even in high school, like trying to figure out like, what am I going to do for a career? And then choosing engineering, thinking that, well, you know, I could make a lot of money being an engineer, you know? And I think that a lot of people have the, the misnomer, the misconception that you're going to become rich at your day job. And a lot of people have to overcome <laughs> yeah. that and realize that it's not at your day job that you're going to become wealthy and, and going to your boss and asking for another raise when you just asked for one, two weeks ago, isn't going to get you there. It's what you do with the little bit that you get from your day job. As you add value for your employer, how are you going to manage that? And so I often tell people that the most important thing that a parent can teach their children is self-control. Because that's really what has been one of the keys to my success, not spending when maybe you want to spend and being disciplined to be able to put that money to work for you rather than have that shiny new phone or new truck or whatever it is, put that money to work for you first. So your money's earning money. And then from the proceeds, maybe you buy that shiny new truck, as you know, Corey, yeah, <laughs> I have now. <laughs> yeah, he has like a, I don't know, you tell me if, it, if I'm wrong. I think it's like an F, is it an F450? Is that what it is? It's actually an F250. 250, yeah. And it's like this souped up like Black Ops edition. You'd oh, love it. Oh, I'm sure I would love it. Yeah, it's amazing. Out. And I was like, style. Chris, I was like, Chris, I thought this wasn't like your thing. Like I thought you weren't into shiny objects. He's like, well, my passive income pays for it. And I was like, yes. Done. <laughs> like, Done. Absolutely. You know, so I guess- that's a really good introduction and just like the way that you framed it, I think could really resonate with people. What made you choose real estate as your avenue for building your wealth? And, and if you could give people just a little bit of background on like how many rentals you do have. And I know you've been, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, past couple of years, right? Like four or five years you've been doing this, right? Yeah. So, so I guess, I guess you kind of have to go back into my history. When, uh, when I was a kid, um, my uncle had a couple of rental properties that he bought and uh, he did land contracts with people and basically sold them on lease to own type deals in Michigan. My, my cousin and I used to go help him rehab properties. And I mean, we're like 10 when we're out there, you know, mowing lawn that's up to your neck <laughs> and uh, trying to fix these properties up. And so he was kind of like that guy. I remember at Christmas time, uh, I, I got Monopoly for Christmas. And my uncle like stayed up with me. We stayed up till like two in the morning till he whipped my butt, you know, at Monopoly the first time I ever played and he's just cleaning my clock, you know, but it was a long game and it was like, wow, you know, he really understands this thing. And that I look back at these experiences that I had, not realizing that this was going to eventually evolve into, you know, a career in real estate or, 
anything to do with the real estate, but there's these little things that I analyze as I look backwards and see all how all these pieces go together. So my, yeah, exactly. In one of our previous episodes, we talked about connecting the dots and I think you explained it perfectly. Just like you you don't realize till later in life, all the steps along your journey that led you to where you finally land and just the little nuggets along the way. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So I think that, I think the first thing was motivation, right? So I always say that the best kind of motivation is self-motivation. So if somebody wants to really get into real estate, you have to, you ha- you can't just have to want um, the financial independence of real estate. You really have to have a love for people and, and understand that to be successful in real estate, you've got to be able to communicate. You know, if you're not a good communicator and you can't read people or talk to tenants or treat people fairly, I just, I don't think you're going to be successful in real estate. So you have to be self-motivated. And if real estate is going to be your vehicle for uh, financial independence, you have to have some sort of a personality or you have to hire somebody that's going to be able to manage that for you. And for me, as Corey's mentioned, I've always been kind of a hands-on guy. Um, Even the contracting stuff that I do, um, I, if there's a big job, I will hire it out now because I don't have time to take care of it. But, you know, when you start out, you start out small, you manage your, you manage every little penny that you're putting into something so that you can, you know, spend less and, and try to put that money to work for you. Um, So other, other dots to connect in my upbringing. um, I bought my first piece of property when I was 18. So I was getting ready to go to college. Oh, that's right. And, I forgot. You house hacked at, at, without even knowing. Well, right? this is even before house hacking. Yeah. I bought a vacant piece of land. Oh, okay. So um, I was working a summer job. Uh, I graduated from high school. I was getting ready to go to college. And I'm like, oh, man, you know, I was terrified about college. I'm going to go down to the big city. You know, I grew up in rural America, right? And uh, I'm like, well, if something happens, you know, at least I have a piece of land. I just want a piece of land. And I told my mom, I found this, you know, land in the paper. We didn't have Craigslist back then. <laughs> and, uh, and so I'm, like, I'm going to go check this out. She's like, whatever you do, don't buy anything. Well, I stopped at the bank and I took a little bit of money with me. And uh, I go up and this guy had a uh, property for sale on a land contract. And I ended up buying 10 acres of land. And in Michigan, land is less expensive than what it is out here. Yeah. But I bought 10 acres in Michigan and um, I sat down with the guy and I said, well, what kind of a deal can you give me on this? And he's like, oh, you know, if, well, if you give me, you know, $1,000 down, you know, this is the price. And if you give me $2,000 down, then this is the price. And I'm like, well, what if it was just cash and I just paid it up front? Well, I, I'd give you 25% off. And I'm like, I'm thinking, you know, I'm trying to figure all this out. And, and then I said, well, what's my monthly payment going to be? And he pulls out this book of amateurization schedules and he's looking for the numbers and the interest rate. And it's all in a book because you didn't have Excel and you didn't have all these great mortgage calculators and stuff like that. And so he gets himself all confused and I end up, you know, figuring out what my payment's going to be and stuff. Cause I was like a little math wizard, right? I figure all that stuff out and I ended up getting it for like 20% off with like a $2,000 down payment. And I went home that night. My mom said, you didn't buy anything. I'm like, well, we, we can go up on, on Saturday and look at it and then if you guys really want me to have it, I'll get my money back. You know, so that was my deal I negotiated right up front. And that's, you said you were 18. I was 18. Yeah. That's pretty yeah. incredible. So you, you started your journey early, which is yeah, pretty incredible. I did. Okay. So that was my first piece of property, okay. but 
it wasn't until I was 44 where I understand how to make money with real estate. Okay. So that was just, so a you just knew, like, correct me if I'm wrong, Chris, you just knew that real estate was a good thing back then, like to own it. Right. Absolutely. But then when you were 44, I guess what clicked in you that made you say, I got to make this thing work for me. Is that, is that what, like, is that what you're. Well, yeah, exactly. So I didn't understand passive income. So I had a piece of property. I, I bought it, I held it. And then after I got married, I sold it and I made like three times my money on that particular piece yeah. of property. So it was good. But of course, then I had, I had held it for, uh, boy, it was like 10 years, a little over 10 years. And so um, I'd end up paying it off in four years. I got some enjoyment out of it and then sold it later on. Um, at 44, I had read um, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And, and I, there was a, there's a couple of key things that, you know, Robert Kiyosaki talks about. And the two things that stick out the most for me was redefining terms that I had been taught the wrong definition of. And so those two terms that are the most important thing in my personal journey was understanding what is an asset and what is a liability. Yep. And when he defines the asset as an asset, that you, something you collect is something that puts money in your pocket every month and a liability is something that takes money out of your pocket every month. That's when the light bulb really went off Got it. because I had been collecting liabilities. I didn't really have any passive income and I never had heard the term passive income that I didn't have bigger pockets. I didn't have any of these things, you know, (laughs) back in the day. And so it was like, Oh yeah, you know, that makes a lot of sense. So I want to stop collecting things that, you know, might give me a future return, like my first piece of property and, and get things that can give me a monthly return. Got it. And so that was, that was really the aha moment of, of, you know, what to do next. So, so paint the picture a little bit for me here. You're 44, you buy your, and you can tell me how many, I guess, how many properties it was at that point, maybe your second. And then you, you're now how old? Right now I'm 47. 47. So yeah. So we're talking about three years ago and how many properties have you, have you collected, amassed these assets over the last yeah, So I have, I have, uh, I have 13 renters right now and I have eight properties. Um, I've got a, you know, single family homes. I've got a duplex, a triplex, a quadplex. Um, and I guess that's what I have right now. Yeah. What is, I got one. What is your favorite property that you have? What type of property is it? And why do you specifically like that one so much over the others? Okay. So the, the favorite property is two reasons. Um, the favorite property is a property that I have in Michigan. It is a quadplex that I found on Craigslist. There was a young couple that had it that, you know, are just starting out life. She was pregnant. It was, it was not where, you know, it was, not, it was too, too far from where they wanted to build their house and they just didn't want it. They were going to have a baby and they didn't want the hassle with it. And they just needed to get out of it. So this particular property was a a unique property. You couldn't just go get like regular financing for it. And it was a, it was actually a quadplex with a single family house on the same piece of property. So it was five units. This was just Uh, listed on on Craigslist. Just on Craigslist. Yep. Uh, in my hometown where I grew up, my, I, I visited this property. I visited the quadplex when I was a kid. My uncle lived there for a little while. Yeah. And, wow. And my dad actually had 
a garage, uh, like an auto repair shop next door when he was like just out of high school prior to going to the Marine Corps. So anyhow, this, there's this little property. I just happened to find it on Craigslist, not knowing all the, the things I just told you that I had visited the property and things like that. But I just, I ran the numbers on it. I was like, wow, this makes sense. $115,000 for five units. I'm like, what's going on with this place? Uh, that is... you know, what's, what's up with the rent? Yeah, you don't even have to tell me what the rents are, Chris. You already know it cash flows. I mean, 115000 like It's insane. Yeah. Well, you could thing. pay $500. I mean, yeah. It's... I will say, we, it's very hard to find deals like this around here. I, uh, some of our it listeners is. will probably be like, that is absolutely insane. $115,000 for five units. But it does make sense to, at some times, invest out of state. We talked about it. Yeah, exactly. And we're going to get into like how you manage re- a ten- a tenants and rentals, you know, long distance, but go ahead continue with the story because I, in the Midwest, you can get properties for $115,000. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, so the main thing is, is, I mean, you have to, you have to understand the numbers. So when I, when I bought the place, um, there were a couple of evictions that needed to take place. Um, the place was kind of run down and it's going to, it was going to need investment. It was going to need money. Um, it had a reputation of being kind of like a, a druggy hangout and stuff like that. Got it. And I just started picking off the property, you know, one unit at a time. I did the first eviction. The guy was at the in the house after he finally got out of jail and I could evict him. Um, you know, we got him out of there and we redid the house and we put a, a, a young military family in there and um, they took really good care of it, but it was a beautiful property at that point. And so, they were happy to have it. Of course, I, I had increased the rent by 50%. And then I did because the, first of the renovations apartment. that you did, right? Yeah. And then yeah. I did the first apartment and I increased the rent by 50%. Then I did the second apartment and I increased the rent by 50%. And as I increased the rents, the riffraff that was kind of hanging out in this location started to go away. Got it. And, and now as of, as of June 1st, um, it's completely rented. All the rents have went up by 50% from what they had been with the previous owner and the, the whole place is completely renovated now. Um, and I usually figure it's going to cost between, um, it, depending on how bad something is between two and $5,000 for a renovation of a unit. Okay. And I really got that experience when I was working, um, in managing Are you talking properties. cosmetically, Chris, just to update. Yeah, mostly, mostly cosmetic. I mean, the, the one we put a new kitchen in, but you know, Craig, Craigslist is your friend, you know, and you find somebody that's getting rid of kitchen, a whole kitchen for 150 bucks and you get the, the sink and the garbage disposal along with it, you know, and, yeah. and a little elbow grease and, and you make it happen. Got it. Um, but helps that you're handy. <laughs> yeah, it, it does help that you're handy. But, and then not only that, but like you, for, to, to realize mm-hmm. where to search for these things for $150 and then to be able to implement that, to know that you're going to be able to increase the rent by a half. Like that's, I mean, you just, you're, you're playing with the numbers. Like it's, it's like almost playing a different game in a way. I think people will be intrigued to hear, you know, you talk, you're a Jersey now on how do you manage renovating this property plus, you know, finding new tenants and the whole process from thousands of miles away. And, and how often do you visit? Do you visit or do you just hire out and hope they, you know, do the deal the right way? Both. I mean, I'm, I'm probably back in Michigan eight times a year. Um, I have family back there. Um, everything gets written off as, you know, expenses to my real estate business, you right. know, so it's like free vacations, you know, basically we, we right. go back there and uh, we spent two weeks in Michigan last year and uh, we bought a boat back there and hung out on a bunch of lakes and visited a bunch of family and friends and, 
and, you know, wrote it off because I, I went to all my rental properties, you know? Awesome. So it makes it nice if you, if you can do that and use it as a business expense. Um, as far as managing it, um, I do have friends in the area. Uh, I try to work with, you know, different local contractors directly. Um, I have an attorney in the area that, you know, I pay her a, a small retainer, uh, like $200 a year. That if I ever have any issues, you know, she can jump in and help me out. She helped me out with, I think we had a, actually three evictions there that we had to deal with um, in that property. Um, and evictions back in Michigan are much less expensive than what they are out here in New Jersey. Um, but I think it was like 200 bucks. And usually if you just send somebody a letter, they're, they're like, they're packing their stuff, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's a little different than what I've had to deal with out here. Um, but as far as like little maintenance things, like um, the hot water heater went out in the, in the, in the quadplex. And um, I know three or four guys in the area and I just had a buddy, you know, grab a key and, and go over there and, and take care of it. Um, you know, you have, uh, you just, you have to have a team. No, you're not going to be successful in real estate unless you have a team, no matter where your properties are at, you have to have a team. You can't do it all yourself, no matter how handled you are, especially if you have, you know, properties out of state. And so you just had to find that, that, that property management company or those individuals that are willing to help you out. So I have um, two properties in Michigan. This one that we've been talking about, that's this five unit property with a single family home in the quadplex. And the other one is just a single family home. And that particular single family home is about two hours away from the uh, quadplex uh, five unit property. And that particular home, I have the right tenant. You know, yep. you want to replace the toilet? I said, well, if you want to do it, you know, go to Home Depot and I'll pay for the toilet. Yeah, you know, cool. um, he wanted to have some some work done on the outside of the house. He hired a, a plumbing contractor and he GC'd it, you know, the tenant GC'd it and, yep. and the plumbing contractor came in and, and, and did it. So if you have a tenant that, you know, has a clue and is a little bit handy about homes, you know, sometimes that can be a benefit too in a long distance thing. This particular tenant is in a five-year lease. Um, wow. So, five you know, I could probably make a little bit more money on the place, but I have no worries with this guy, right? Because yep. I gave him a decent deal and he's taking care of it. Cool. Um, Corey, you know that when we first talked, I, I tell all my tenants the most important thing in our relationship, landlord-tenant, is communication. Yep. And you, you've struggled a little bit with that recently with a tenant. I have. Yeah, I have. Uh, it's funny that you say that because um, we've had somebody, one of our followers reach out and ask about that. And I, I use your rhetoric to say like communication is key. I, and, and it is. So right now, I mean, you know, the, the world's turned a little bit upside down with COVID and, you know, you can't actually evict tenants, but I'm working through it with the communication skills that I know I have. And it's uh it's a work in progress, but yeah, I'm, I'm having, <laughs> I'm having fun with, with her. She's, she's not a bad person. She's just, it's just, uh, she's going through a hard time. So you have to be understanding at that, at, in, in those scenarios too. You know, right. Chris, what would you say if you had to pick one piece of advice to give someone looking, they're pretty close. They have the money saved up and they're, they're looking to capitalize if you would on this COVID situation right now and kind of feeling out the market and they, they are about to, or looking to purchase their per first property to have as a rental. If they came to you and asked for advice, what would you say? I would say, I, and this is more of my rhetoric, right? As Corey mentioned, yeah. um, I would say that if for anybody that's looking to invest, if you don't look 
you'll never buy. And so they have to be looking. I've told Corey, there's other stories where, you know, I'm looking at a property, looking at a property and it goes away and then it comes back, you yep. know, because I'm always looking. Yep. And I've, that, that particular one um, went from a two bedroom, one bath to a one bedroom, one bath during my process of, of looking at it. And it's kind of a neat story. Basically they dropped the price by $50,000 because for whatever reason, they Was said that the, two bedrooms up, the two bedrooms upstairs didn't have any heat. Remember that Corey? I don't know or if we've talked about this one. No. Oh, okay. So I'm watching, I, you know, you're looking at, you're looking at properties, you're, you're on Zillow or you're on Craigslist and yeah. you're scrolling, you're looking, you're, you're running numbers through property evaluator. You got your free app on your phone or you got your bigger pockets app and you're running the numbers, running the numbers and you, and you find numbers that work and you want to go look at those properties. And so you have to have, you have to have a game plan. You have to have a goal. And for me, my first goal was I just want to collect things at cash flow, And I really didn't have, you know, a, a lot more of a goal than just that. Now it's changed a little bit, <clears throat> but at that point I was like, if I can make 30% cash on cash return, that was my deal. Yep. And I, I've shared that with Corey. Yep. Um, but this one property I'm looking at it and it was actually a three, two or no three, one, it was a three, one property. And three, I was thinking about three bed, three bed, one bath, right? Three bed, one bath. I was thinking about living in it myself because we were renting at the time and this was going to be my first purchase in New Jersey. And I was, you guys would not believe this, but three years ago it was paycheck to paycheck and I was just barely making enough to pay my rent. And it was just, we were struggling every month and I I'd saved up just enough money that I had enough for a down payment to be able to, um, to buy my first house. So I had 3% down and so I put, I put it, put a, an offer in on the short sale and I was waiting, just waiting. <laughs> and uh, the reason I put the offer in was because I had seen that it had went from a three, one to a one, one. And I went in there with my realtor. I'm like, there's something up with this property. It's got a you know nice side lot. There's all these great things about the property, a uh, garage, a circle driveway. And um, it went from $146,000 to like $110,000. And I was like, wow, that's really crazy. And I walked in, we put an offer on the properties in the short sale. Um, they eventually accepted the offer. I think it was for like 97. Um, and I, I walked in with my realtor to the basement and there was a little lever on the damper for the ductwork. And I went like this and I made 50 grand. What do you mean? The heat worked, it was just oh. shut off. <laughs> It was just oh. it was literally just turned up. I turned that. I turned the house from a, a one bedroom one bath into a three bedroom one bath with a that's little switch. So that's just doing your homework, Chris, right? And just like yeah. being persistent about it, continuously right. looking. I mean, if, if there's any but advice, it was there was there was six months, six months in between. But I saw the same property come back up six months later, and they're like, yeah. wait, this is odd. But if somebody's looking to buy. And they're ready to capitalize on COVID. To really be ready to capitalize on COVID, you you needed to start looking maybe six months ago to see what the market was doing. Right, I mean, right. or you have to really know your numbers and have really your metrics have to be defined as to what you really want. I think um, a lot of people would say, "Oh, we got lucky," but you literally just hit it nail on the head. Preparation meets opportunity. I mean, absolutely, you did did the yeah, homework, you've been studying up. For I have a question, so. 
what would you recommend for resources for people to start utilizing like tools that helped you in your process and along your journey? You, you talked a lot about your research and, and preparing. Um, what can we share with people that might help them to do a little bit of research on their own? Well, I think that the, the biggest thing for me um, is I really, I really didn't understand exactly. So I, I, I told you the guys that I read rich dad, poor dad, yep. and those definitions are really what made the light bulb click for me for passive income and, and understanding what an asset and a liability is. But then I bought the game cash flow 101. And you were the first person to introduce that to me, by the way, is this part of cash flow quadrant by Kiyosaki or no, no. cash flow 101 is a board game. It's, it's like monopoly on steroids. Okay. Yeah, he Kiyosaki made it. It's part of like yeah, the yeah. Rich Dad series. Oh, yeah. got it. Okay, it's cool. part of it's part of Rich Dad Poor Dad Company. Yeah, but Perfect. what I did, you know, after playing the game a couple times and trying to understand what the what the game is really trying to teach, because there's some there's some CDs that go along with it, and you listen to the CDs, and any book that I've ever read, I don't just read it once. I'll read it once, and usually it's so full of information. Anytime you read a book. You're only going to get so much the first time because your head's going to right. be spinning with the things you didn't know. Especially but now that. once you understand those things and you read it again, now you're going to get something else and you're, you'll read it again and you'll get something else. And that's kind of like um, reading Robert Kiyosaki's books. And I did read Cashflow Quadrant. Um, and, then, and then playing this game is the repetition over and over again where you start to see patterns and you start to see things happening. And after I played it four or five times, I'm like, I'm just going to take all the cards and lay them all on the table and organize them. I think that's one of the first things I had you do, Corey, yep. Yep. was look at the cards and understand that there's there's a deal out there where you can make 100% on your money. On investment. Yep. Yep. Might need to borrow this game here, Corey. Oh, yeah. It's awesome. I, I – uh... We could, we should definitely yeah, buy it and play it. But I mean, that's a good recommendation for people to buy this game and play it because it changes your perspective on what an asset versus a liability is and how to bring in that that cash flow. And you're going month. through the motions, right? Like yeah. you're actually going through it and learning by example. Yeah, you're I think buying it's, it in quotation. Right. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. you're literally buying properties or you're buying, um, you know, certain deals that that give you cash flow. I think it's it's just pretty cool how it like completely changed your perception. We're talking about somebody who in Chris here, who just told me, I didn't know this three years ago, he's living paycheck to paycheck. Right. And it's like, and he's, you're in your mid forties and you're probably thinking like, this is a problem. Like this is not working for me. Right. Like all this exactly. work every single day, you're going to work, you come home, you're tired. Like, and then we're coming to a point now and he, you know, Chris doesn't have to share his exact cash flow numbers, but he has eight units that are cash flowing enough for, would you say you have enough money to live off of um, if you had your expenses at a certain level? Like, would you, would you say that? Yeah. Um, I would say that like the, the one unit, that one unit I have in Michigan, um, I actually left my job in uh, February of 2019. I had an executive level position and I, I walked away from it. And the only reason I was able to walk away from working like seven days a week was because of my investments in real estate. Got it. And, and so I, I didn't quite have enough to live on Corey, but um, that one property that I have in Michigan, I was able to pay that off um, by, and this is another crazy thing that maybe you'll get to someday is where when you have a 401k, 
you can roll it over into a solo 401k. And there's probably not very many people that understand that. But if you want, wait, wait, right please, please dive in. I have 401k. I need to know. <laughs> so you take your 401k, you roll it over into a solo 401k and you actually set it up like a trust. And I can give you all the details on how to make this happen. You guys can post it later or whatever. Yeah. But basically um, for a small fee, somebody will write up the document for you. And then your 401k gets turned into a checking account for investments only. Wow. And now you can take that 401k money. You can literally write checks with your 401k and it's all legal. It's all legit. And um, that's what I did with my 401k. I bought this five unit property in Michigan and basically own it free and clear. And so that property alone, how much is that cash flow, Chris? That cash flow is $2,800 a month. So depending on your expenses, you could almost live on that. Yeah. 35, for, what's that like around $35,000 a year or so 30 to $35,000 a year. Absolutely. It's, it's you can live on it. And Chris, I think that the thing is that people, the, the, the thing that scares people the most and the thing that people are like, Oh no, I shouldn't do this. And the reason is, is because of the education system and what people are taught in school, save your money, put it in a 401k, make 8% retire. But what you're saying is, and what I think other investors are saying, hold on a second. Why do I want to save this money at a 7-8% return over a 40-year time span when I can make that 30% cash on cash return? Like for me, I put in a 401k and I meet the match because I'm still learning how to play the game. But if I had, I'm just throwing out numbers out there, if I were to have fifty to hundred thousand dollars in my 401k and I knew it can make me 15 to 20% of my money, why would I wait? Why would I just, you know, it's it's a safety net for some people and it's all about your risk tolerance. But what you just said there is like that's it's a it, it it's let, crazy. Let me piggyback off that. So I'm just I'm thinking of mine too, and I've been I've had it for seven years. We go we do the match at company, and it's it's gotten close to almost six figures at some point. And yeah. think like um this is absolutely insane that you could potentially do this. Now, question in my mind, I'm like, okay, do I stop the compounding right now? Like, is it worth that for to have you know? Should I keep everything going and then take it out when I'm sixty whatever sixty two whatever the age is now? Or does it make more sense to pull it out now and put it into something that could cash flow 2,800 bucks? What do you say? Almost 30, 30 grand 30 a year? A year. Great. I mean, in two years. So Ryan, stop. <laughs> Answer your own question. Do you want to make 8% or 30%? Yeah, you got me. You got me, Chris. <laughs> I mean, you know, that was, it was really just a no brainer to me. Like, yeah, I'm going to do this. And as long as the back. numbers work, right, is what you're saying. The, yeah, as long as the numbers, the numbers work. If, you're can, if you can be guaranteed 30%, guess what? My real estate really didn't go down in value during this whole COVID thing. Yeah, right. It's, it's actually going to go up. It's actually going to go up in value. So what happens right now is there's another term that I want to talk about. I really haven't talked about this with anybody yet. Um, but right now, during this COVID crisis, everybody got a check, right? For the most part. Yeah. Okay. So when you put more money out there into the economy, you're diluting the economy in a sense. Right. And so the dollar that you had sitting cash, not really invested, is worth less tomorrow because there's more dollars out there available. Yep. Right. And so what we what we commonly refer to as inflation. Um, in the marketplace, you know, the, the government would like us to understand inflation. Oh, it's inflation. It's really deflation. The dollar is worth less. It's right. de you're deflating the dollar. The dollar becomes worth less. So if you're, if you don't have your money invested in an asset, 
it's, you're going to lose money. You, I can't buy as much today with $10 as I could 20 years ago with $10. Exactly. No, but sure. my property, my property is, is worth more today. Let's say the property value is worth exactly the same, but somebody's going to give me more dollars because a dollar is worth less. Right. right. And it, or, or at the worst case, at your absolute worst case scenario, it's going up at the same rate as inflation, which the dollar right. isn't if it's not invested. Right. right. Yeah. Right. I, I think this is going to get a lot of gears turning for people, especially it is for me. You know, I've always heard the, the term diversify, diversify, diversify. Right. So I think, okay, say I have some real estate, say I have a 401k, say I have a Roth IRA, say you know, there's a lot of stocks, right? There's no perfect asset mix i guess you'd say so for you I'm, I'm curious of do you still participate in the 401k and just attribute a little bit of money towards that or are you strictly all real estate you don't have to share every specific thing but i think i think people would be curious to hear what yeah. you're doing yeah so so right now um my my 401k right now is real estate got you it know? Cool. i still have i still have companies that i've started that i have stock holdings in and things like that but for the most part, when you say diversify, 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 um, I look at that and I look at every single one of my properties is diversification. You know, I'm not just in the Philadelphia market. Yep. I'm also in Frankenmuth, Michigan and West Branch, Michigan. You know, so there's, there's, there's diversification in there in, in that every, every business partner that you have, essentially your tenant is a business partner they're, they're part of your diversification. You know, I got one during COVID that lost his job and, you know, it's kind of like, yeah, it's, that's a, that's a tough thing, it, but you know, we have a good relationship and, and I know that, you know, he'll, he'll bounce back and he'll do just fine. Yeah. Um, so you're using your diversification uh, and I have this in air quotes uh, advice from people and saying that I'm going to bet on real estate as my total asset and my diversification is going to be the separate markets that I purchase. And the separate, separate markets. And, yeah. And the separate people. Right. You know, not everybody that I rent to has the same job. Right. I rent to a nurse. I rent to a truck driver. I rent to a factory worker, you know, so they're, they're the tenants are individually diversified by the market that they're in their specific jobs. Got it. That makes exactly. so much sense. So you, that's an interesting point. And we, we are going to be doing an episode specifically on managing tenants and, and that'll come into play, right? Interviewing and, and picking who you want. Screening. Screening. screening right? Sorry. Yeah. Um, clearly that plays a part in your, in your process, right? So can you dive into that a little bit and just, I guess we won't go super in depth on, on the whole screening, but just, I think it's, I never even would have thought of that, that you're diversifying yourself by picking someone that you know for sure is going to be able to pay every single month and it may be a doctor, a lawyer, et cetera. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I guess, you know, you, you do screen people and you, and you look at, you know, as, as a business owner, you're always trying to manage risk. The, the game of business is always risk management. Mm -hmm. I say it over again, the, the top three things in, in business are manage risk, manage risk and manage risk. Um, and, and so when you look at that, uh, when you're bringing a tenant in, you're looking at their history, you're looking at, um, their rental history, their work history, things like that. I always use, um, the cozy app. I think I yep. might've mentioned. I, I use cozy. We haven't that. talked about that a lot on the show, but it's really good for screening tenants. People can apply right on the app. 
That's cool, uh, right. And you can charge them a fee or you can waive the fee and they do background yeah. checks and all that stuff on, on cozy. Yeah. That's good. So, so I'm a numbers guy. And so I never charge a fee for applications because I want as many people coming to me as possible. So I have the biggest selection. I want to be able to choose. So I don't charge any fees. I, I gather all this data and all this information. And then I look at what the, you know, what the, you know, just compare everybody and say, Hey, do, are anybody here that I want to rent to? And, um, you know, I always probably the biggest thing is looking at the percentage of, you know, the rent versus to income ratio. Chris, you taught me this. You said that, and correct me if I'm wrong, if a tenant, uh, they make three times the rent is a good barometer, three times the rent or above anything above is great. Then you know that that's probably a good place to start of like where you could, if they make, Two times the rent, it's going to be a struggle if they miss a paycheck or they get sick or something like that, that's right? right? Yeah, that, that's that 30, 33%. Or the rent should be 33% of their income or less, uh, ideally. Yeah. 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 That's, that's really good advice. Um, so, I mean, obviously, we're talking a lot about a, a bunch of different topics here. And it seems as though you've kind of found this magic in real estate, real estate. Like you've built, you know, your real estate portfolio to eight eight units in three years. And I guess there's two questions here. What is your why? So like, why do you do what you do? Um, whether that be family related or something, I'll let you answer the question. And then what is your vision for the next five to 10 years for Chris Filbert? So why I do what I do, I think that I've always wanted to um, have that financial independence. And for me, it goes back to Robert Kiyosaki uh, what he said was really resounded with me was basically, I don't want to be trading my time for money. Mm -hmm. My, and that's what people have to get, have to get an understanding for. As long as you're working at, for an hourly rate, if you're, if you're valuing yourself by how much you get paid per hour, you'll never be wealthy. I don't care. Even if you're a doctor, you'll never be wealthy because you you're limited by time. Right. You're, you only have 24 hours in a day. You only have 2,080 hours in a year, you know, unless you're working overtime and, and then there's no life, you know? So the, the, the biggest thing that people have to overcome in their life is be willing to um, accept the fact that they do get paid an hourly wage and, and, and appreciate that, appreciate their employer for, you know, giving you consistency, but then take that money and do something with it. So I think that's best um, summarized in the book, um, uh, the richest man in Babylon. Yeah. Oh, yeah. One of my favorites. Yeah. We just talked yeah. about it. Yeah. And so, I mean, going, going to that and understanding that, you know, you've got to, you've got to put your money to work for you. Um, that that's huge. So, but, but people that can never get over, you know, uh, you know, I want to make $20 an hour. I want to make $30 an hour. Well, if you're tying your money to your time, you're, you're never going to become wealthy. You're never going to achieve financial independence. It's just not going to happen. And get your time back. That's the whole point, right? Well, yeah. The whole point is to get your time back, right? Yeah. So and time is start out working. Like, you know, it's not like you're born into this. I mean, it'd be great if somebody gave me a loan at $2 million, I could probably turn it into a lot more. But, you know, when you're young, when you're in your 20s, 18s, 20s, to make that money, save it up, and then invest it the way you're talking about. Would you say that's the, I mean, it is the best, it's the, it's the route to go if, if happiness and time is, is your goal. Um, so what, so, 
to the second part of that question, what is your vision for the next five to 10 years with your, you know, specifically in your real estate portfolio? So it's just going to keep getting bigger. Um, you know, right now I'm, I'm helping some, I try to help as many people as I can um, invest in real estate. And right now I'm helping um, another, this is my second big commercial property that I've, I've helped with cool. as a consultant. And um, to the point where we're looking at getting a 20,000 um, square foot, excuse me, building. And it's actually going to pay the business owner. It'll pay him to move there because of, because of savings, because yeah. of rentals that already exist in this building. It already has some tenants in it. Got it. You know, so it'll pay him to move his business. Basically what it amounts to when you run the numbers is that for $220 a month, he gets an extra 13,000 square feet to himself. Wow. So he's business hacking, right? Moving his business to a certain area and then buying the building and having the tenants that rent commercially pay for his expenses. Business hacking. There you go. That's a new term, Corey. I was going to say, did you just, <laughs> just Boom. Up? Yeah. Business <laughs> hacking. You heard it first here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I want a third of that. <laughs> <You're into it. laughs> um, Listen, like, let me say this. Everything that I do, and, I, and Chris has heard me say this multiple times, everything that I do today, not everything, but a lot of the real estate things I do are attributed to him. So he can take a third of whatever once I get to that certain level. I mean, seriously. <laughs> I'll jump in really quick and just say I've heard a lot about you for a long time. And yeah. He talks extremely high of you, and it's just been an absolute pleasure to have you on here. Yeah, to say the least. And just thank you for being so open with everybody. I'm sure we still have a few more questions. Not yeah. wrapping up, but... It, it truly is inspiring and, and it gets me excited. And I, I just, people like you that have seen success in a gradually, a pretty short amount of time, but are, are willing to give back. It's just what makes, it's what makes the world go around. And yeah. I think it's incredible. So thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you, Chris. So we tie a, a lot of what we do on this podcast into, we talk about freeing up your time and happiness. And I, I understand that your why ties into that, I guess. Um, the question that I have is what, what makes you the most happy in this world and how does your real estate investments help you get to do more of that? So when I, when I, when I start to recommend books to people, there's usually an order, right? And so me, for me, the order has to do with your faith. So the first book that I always recommend to people whether you're, whether you're Christian, whether you're Jewish, whether you're Muslim, you know, whatever your faith is, the first thing that people should try to do, as I mentor people, is to know themselves. Know right. what you believe. You've got you've to, you know, Socrates said, know thyself. Mm -hmm. So the more you understand about yourself and what motivates you and what your dreams and your goals are, where your passions lie, that's what's going to give you that self-motivation, if you will, to move forward into real estate or, you know, whatever it happens to be. The thing for me is that real estate itself is, is uh, just like money. Money is a tool. Money is just a tool. I don't want to, I don't want to collect a bunch of tools, but I want to be able to use the tool to accomplish things. And so right now, just having this conversation with you guys, we're talking about how to use a tool and the better you guys become at using the tool, then 
the, the better our society becomes because everybody knows how to use the tool properly and people aren't being taken advantage of or, you know, everybody can share in the ability to use this tool. So um, I think that as I, as I continue to mentor folks and, and move forward, you know, in my life, um, you know, developing my rhetoric, trying to um, teach people how to dissect and, and communicate exactly what it is that I've done. Um, that's very important to me. Cool. And, 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 and just, just sharing that as Ryan, you would, you would thank me um, in, in, in teaching you learn. You know, I said earlier that you can't be successful in real estate unless you have a team. I think that life is all about relationships, whether it's a relationship with other business partners like yourselves or relationships with tenants, you know, uh, integrity plays a big part in all of this. So the more that you get to know yourself, the more that, you know, the books of your faith, um, you know, become a part of you. I think it makes you a better person, a more well-rounded person, and it allows you to contribute to society. So um, when I look at uh, where I've come and what makes me the happiest, it's, it's teaching. I like to teach. I like to be this mentor. Um, you know, I teach my kids this stuff. I, I, I try to, um, I, in, in my heart, I'm a speed nut. I am like crazy about how fast can you do it? Like my greatest closing was the one where I closed on the house. I took the keys. I drove as fast as I could because I had the tenants meeting me at the house that I just bought and I could hand them the keys and they moved in. You know, <laughs> like, I just ah, efficiency. No, I dude, love that. This is the thing. <laughs> like Chris was, I mean, Chris helped me close on my property. Uh, like so much more efficiently because and he'll tell you, we had two or three different properties that we were going to, me, he was just yeah, kind of I, helping I me out with mm-hmm. getting the, the closing table. And he's like, just get to the closing table, wrap up the deal. And he was the one who taught me, like, you can put a deal under contract and not be directly tied to it. So everyone's afraid to make offers or what if it gets accepted and they're not ready, then you could, there's certain things you can do to get out of the deal. But Chris is always about how do we wrap the deal up? How do we get to the closing table? And like his emphasis on that has helped me kind of, I just, just the speed mentality, like, okay, we got to get this done, check these things off, make sure the numbers are good and go and go on to the next one. Right. I mean, that's, it's a, it's pretty cool advice. I think it goes back to, we see people that have buy multiple properties a year and and you see the numbers stack up over time. Like how the heck did they do that? You just become so much more efficient once you go through the motions and have done it before. Um, But I think you need to think about it and actually consciously decide like, Hey, I'm just going to keep going no matter what. It's a numbers game, right? You talked about that yeah. plenty of times. Yeah. I have a, a random sidebar question for you here. We've had this come up a couple of times in previous episodes. Any thoughts on buying a property under an LLC versus personally? What, maybe what you do? Yeah. So I've, I've thought about it. Um, it just, it, you know, it really comes down to uh, financing if you can, if you can finance um, in an LLC and you can refinance while the property is in an LLC, um, if you can do that, then then I think that it's it's great to do it in an LLC. Um, you know, I've never I've never necessarily done that. Um, I do have the one property that five unit property that's actually held by my um, trust. Uh, so that one. 
excuse me? Sorry, the 401k trust? You yeah, the about? 401k trust, yep. Okay, cool. So that, that 401k trust actually holds that property. Um, so because, I mean, I would love to figure out a way, and I haven't figured this out yet, how I could take my equity out of it and, and then yep. use that to buy more properties. I haven't figured out, like, what, how does my trust, which is really its own entity, how do I get it alone? You know, I haven't quite figured that out yet. There's, I'm sure there's some mechanics out there. Yeah. Um, you know, some attorney could walk me through it or something, but I just, I haven't been that motivated lately to figure that out. But mm-hmm. if I could, if I could, if I could pull equity out of it and invest it in another property, then I would definitely do that. But once you put a property in a trust, it becomes a little bit, or in an LLC, if you will, another entity, yep. um, it becomes a little bit more difficult you know, to, to refinance it and things like that. So you have to have that financial um, tool in place to make that happen. Right. We, uh, thank you for that. We also, you know, we talked about um, you having between eight to 12 um, between properties and units here. Along your, your journey here, have you basically taken a, like a HELOC or rolled a property into another one, done a, any exchanges? I'm just curious of how you, kind of amplified up and moved from one to eight and so quickly. Um, So no, I haven't really done, I haven't really done a a HELOC. Um, I, I, it's, uh, I've done, I've done a refi, I guess the, probably the, probably the the biggest thing that's like the coolest deal ever is making a hundred thousand dollars in eight months. That'll get you going. Gotta I don't care it. who you are. <laughs> That'll get you going. Yeah. Okay. So, so I bought the house at this, this house that I'm sitting in my office right now. Um, it was on the market as a short sale and uh, somebody had put an offer in. And so I, and, and then for whatever reason backed out. And so I knew what the, the going price for the house was going to be. And one of the things, one of the metrics I look for when I'm looking at properties is what is the tax assessed value of the home compared to what the selling price is or what I think I can get the house for. Because if it's already been tax assessed at a higher number, and then I know that whatever I buy it for, it's at least, I can at least refi it for that tax assessed number. Okay. Because that's kind of the mentality that I go into it with. So this house that I'm sitting in right now, was assessed for, I think it was $426,000. Okay. And I knew that I could get the house for 319. So, so, so I bought the house out of a short sale. Got it. Um, and it was, it was, it was a fast short sale because they'd already been through it. They already knew that 319 number was sitting there. The realtor told me 319 gets it. So I just, put the offer in at 319. Just for people that don't know what a short sale is. So the, the easiest oh. definition of a short sale is that um, they somebody owes, say they, say they owed on this house right here, say they owed $350,000 on the house, according to their mortgage yep. that they had with the bank. And they go to the bank and they say, hey, you know, I got to get out of this. I haven't paid my mortgage in like three months. I can't afford it. If I can get somebody to come in and buy it for 319, Will you let me sell it? Will you Got let it. me get Pretty out of my foreclosure? Is what you're saying, right? Before you get to foreclosure. Yep. Okay. Right. Before they get to foreclosure. So a bank will typically approve a short sale because they want the house to be kept up. They don't, the bank, the last thing the bank wants is real estate owned, right? 
they don't want any REO properties. So the bank will say, yeah, if you can, if you can market it and you can sell it, you know, we'll approve a short sale for whatever amount of money. And, you know, the realtor usually handles that transaction. So they present all to the bank. Your relationship with, did you have a rela prior relationship with the seller? How did you? Yeah, I bought, no, with the realtor, I had bought several properties through one realtor. Got it. And then uh, with somebody else in his office that had this property in my backyard. And he's like, hey, you know, so-and-so knows that this house, this would probably be perfect for you. So to summarize, you're saying. Realtors work for you, you know. Yeah, you right. knew it was worth 420. You could get, or was it four, 420? Is that what you said? It was, it was like 426 or 427. Yeah, and, or but you like knew that. you could get it for 319 based on your relationship with a, pre, with a realtor who, who understood the inner workings of, of the deal. Somebody who's a good realtor, and by the way. The that's, relationship. And his relationship perpetuated that. Yep. That's, uh, so, you, so you're saying you made the $100,000. So, so to get to that part, to yeah. get to that part. So, so I buy the house. I move the family in. I rent out the house that I was living in. So I still have that house. That didn't go anywhere. Yep. And, and so now I'm living in this, this new house, which is much bigger than the house I had. Um, and eight months down the road, I decided I'm going to refi, right? Yep. So, so I'm living in the house and I know that because of the short sale, there's a bunch of equity sitting in the home. But I, I wait eight months. And typically, I would recommend that somebody waits a year to do this. Is that the seasoning just, period they talk about? Yeah. Okay. But I was able to do it in eight months. You okay. know, it was just, you know, maybe it was a fluke. Maybe, maybe you could do it in eight months. Do you just have so to it, ask, how does one, you know what I mean? I've heard from six months to 12 months. Like, how, how did you know specifically, like, okay, eight months it is, and then I can, I can refi? I just, I just happened to, it was just, I happened to talk to a, a mortgage guy. And said, "Hey, I'm really looking at you know refinancing my house. I bought it in June of you know 2019, and here we are. You know, it was like January timeframe. I'm saying, hey, let's fill out the paperwork and make this happen. Got it. And uh, I wasn't so concerned about the interest rate as much as I was. I wanted to pull my down payment back out of the house because I it. wanted there was something else I wanted to buy. Yep. You know. And so what happened was um, we did the paperwork. Everything went through." The appraiser came out and appraised the house at like 456 or something like that. So in that eight months, not only, you know, had, had I knew there was equity going into it, but now the pro the house, I had done a little bit of work on the house, not very much, a couple thousand dollars worth of, you know, minor repairs and did some, a lot of yard work. The house had went up in value by, you know, not quite $30,000. And so I was able to, um, do a, a refi. I pulled, um, I think I pulled, it was like a, it was a cash out refi. Uh, yep. So I pulled, I'd only put $20,000 on the house. I pulled out 33, eight months later, and I still have uh 20% equity. So my PMI went away too. Yep. So the whole transaction was, I got my, I got my down payment back plus 13 K plus my mortgage went down by like $150. Wow. So this is huge because we talk all the time about finding, we talk about finding deals, analyzing deals. And, and I think about looking on Trulia, thinking about looking on Redfin, thinking about looking on Zillow. Zillow. And those aren't going to fall on your lap. Essentially you, we talk about this. It's all through relationships. You're a perfect example of if you didn't have the relationship with your realtor and he didn't understand your vision or he or she, there's no way you would have had this deal come across. You made a hundred thousand dollars. 
in eight months. Yeah. It's insane. Think about, you just talked about, I had to say it like three, three years ago, four years ago, check by check. And then you're like, boom, hundred K for doing my homework and building yep. relationships. The world that runs, runs, <laughs> I, I'm not, sorry. I'm mind blown. It's crazy. Mind blown. It really this is. is this is why I have Chris on and, and he doesn't, I hope you know that you're on my team, but I talk about you all the time. <laughs> oh yeah, you're on his team. <laughs> yeah. you know yeah. or not. Yo, you're stuck by the way on the team. <laughs> I might be yeah. thinking back. You know, yeah. You know, I, yeah, you'd have to, oh, you're not getting off that team, but anyway, so, I mean, as a mentor for somebody that I'm going to run deals by in the future right. and, and, trust. And, and someone that I trust, we talked about this in previous episodes and, and Chris, you know that I could talk to you for hours about this stuff. I think I want to kind of summarize for people, um, you know, I, I guess how you, in the question, what advice would you give your younger self? Because I think that the majority of the people that you're speaking to in this interview are probably somewhere between 18 and 32. And again, you don't need to be that age because you discovered financial or financial independence, the movement, the way that you describe it at 44. So it's not an age thing, but my my question is how do you, what, what advice would you give your younger self um, looking back? I think that's a great question, um, by the way. And I think like when I was 18 and I bought my first piece of property, um, I had no understanding of what I was doing and I, I thought I was going to be self-made. You know, I was, I was, I was, uh, I was a, you know, kind of a smart kid. Um, you know, I excelled at academics yep. and I really, I put a lot of value into my academics when I was young. And I don't think that's a bad thing because it served me well, but if I had put as much effort into um, my financial intelligence as I did my, my academic life, and then it wasn't until basically when I got out of college where I really started to understand uh, people and psychology. I was, um, I was very much a nerd uh, <laughs> you know, through, through high school and, and most of college. But then when I started really understanding people and relationships and started really, uh, today I'm, I'm in HR and I, I give personality tests all the time because yeah. I just find people are fascinating and I can, I can learn so much about a person by giving them a personality test. I haven't done it with any tenants yet, but that's yeah. probably my next thing. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, try that out. Uh, 16personalities.com. I'll give a shout out to them because okay. I use them all the time. Cool. Um, but it, it's, uh, it, as far as my younger self goes, um, I had the motivation. I just didn't, I didn't really know the right questions to ask. Or like where to put the motivation to. We talked about this on a previous episode. Like we yeah. were like, you can work hard your whole life, but if you work directionless, what good does it serve you? Right? Like, so well, that, that's kind of, I didn't have a mentor. I mean, that's the one, that's the one thing I didn't have, you know, I didn't really have a mentor that pulled me aside and said, Hey, this is what you need to do. And the only reason Corey, you hit the nail on the head earlier. The only reason you have a mentor is because you said that you were interested in something, right? You knew you were interested in real estate. And when I heard that, I'm like, cool. I talked to this guy, you know? So like you said earlier, putting, putting out your vision, put it out into the universe and see what happens. Um, even Tony Robbins talks about that all the time. You know, yeah. if you've got, if you've got a vision, share it, share it as often as you can. And you're going to find people that are going to buy into your vision. Um, 
I got a couple of things I want to say that yeah. on your podcast, because I think they're really valuable and I use them all the time in business and in life. And, um, it comes down to this and, and actually for this time right now, where a lot of people are dealing with uh, COVID-19 and, and just disruption of our society. Uh, there's a lot of people out there struggling right now. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of people that are trying to capitalize on this and, and capitalizing on it is not a bad thing, except for if you're capitalizing on it for your own gain and without the concern of others. And so I say this um, to be used with caution, but there's only one thing that people buy. Corey, there's only one thing that you buy at the end of the day, Ryan, there's only one thing that you actually buy that you actually spend money on. And that one thing is hope. And you have a lot of people that will spend money. I ho- I'm going to buy this car because I hope it makes me look good. Or I hope I get that girl or I'll buy this cologne because I hope it makes me smell good. Or I'll buy that hat because I hope it makes me look cool or yeah. whatever it is. Hope is behind our motivation to spend money. And the more that people realize that, um, it, can, it can be taken advantage of. But I think that we have responsibility as, as landlords to instill hope in people um, for the right reasons. You know, yep. a lot of people just, just want a safe place to live and they want to be able to provide for their family. You know, maybe they're not interested in real estate. They know, know the first thing about plumbing in their house or whatever. And they're, they're just looking for a stability. Um, one of the things I shared today, we have a Wednesday meeting where I work and I shared that the number one uh, characteristic that every highly successful team shares is, this is in um, the book Culture Code. I think I recommended that to you. Yeah. yeah. Um, Daniel Cole uh, says the number one thing that every highly effective team shares is safety. And so if a team is safe, if a family is safe, you can build on that. You can do other things with it. But when people are fearing for their life or they're, or they're fearing for the economy or, you know, they're living paycheck to paycheck and they don't have uh, financial stability. It's hard to think about other things that might be important to you when your response is fight or flight. There's a yep. war going on and I'm going to fight or flight. So the more that we can help create safety in people's lives, I think that that's, that's a mission that I have and whether it's through, you know, providing somebody uh, a safe home to live in, that is up to code and it meets all the safety requirements, you know, by the state of New Jersey or the state of Michigan or whatever, or if it's helping, you know, young men and women, you know, like yourself and your viewers um, to have financial safety, financial stability, you know, that's, that's really my goal is to, to help perpetuate safety in the country that we live in. We talk about this all the time, Chris, and to, and to kind of wrap things up in terms of the uh, like, understanding finance in order to follow your passion. And that's kind of the same thing with the safety is like, how do you create a safe environment for yourself? Or how do you create an environment where you can follow your passions? If the only thing that you're worried about next is putting food on the table. Like if you don't understand the intellect behind finances, how do you, how can you worry about anything besides what, what, what is, you know, am I you know, freaking out about you being safe and you having food and you having your next, paycheck. So I think that kind of ties in like wonderfully with just 
our show, we always talk about living a happy and free life. And I think the road that you're going down is creating this freedom for yourself. Would you agree? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, first of all, I just want to say thanks again. Like this is, it's been, it's by far our most, um, I don't know if philosophical is the right word, but it's our most, it's our fulfilling. Yeah. It's our deepest episode for Mm -hmm. sure so far. And that's not a knock on anyone who's come on in the past. It's just that we haven't gone to this level of thinking. And I think that, um, I would love to have you on again, as you talk about your 15th or 20th property that you amass. And once you hit that, you know, that, so uh, that peak of, you know, the real financial freedom, it sounds like you're really close, but, um, thank you. It's been a pleasure. And, um, be expecting a text about my next property that I want to talk to you about. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good. I really appreciate you guys having me. Thank you so much. It's been an honor. Thank you. Thank you so much. We truly appreciate it. Can't wait to hear kind of where you go from here, but um, that wraps us up here for uh, episode number nine, the The weekly juice pod. Yeah. Episode nine. Where can you find us? Yeah. So Chris, I don't even know if I told you the name, Uh, the weekly juice podcast. You can find us on Apple. which is iTunes, I guess, Spotify, YouTube, um, and then our Instagram account uh, at Weekly Juice Pod. Uh, it helps if people rate, review, subscribe, and um, you know, tell us what you like and what you don't like. And we're gonna we have uh, people like if you have somebody like Chris come on your show, you know, people really need to listen to someone like you. So uh, again, we we truly appreciate it. Thanks so much. Sounds good. Hey, I got one more thing before you guys go. Yeah. I was talking to a, a business owner in Michigan that I often go back and visit and I help out. And uh, when he's got started in business, I helped him out. And that was, boy, that was like 15, 20 years ago. And uh, his name is Justin. And uh, this morning I'm talking to him about a cement project I got going on out here. And uh, he had he had a little tagline. I'm going to share it with you guys because it goes along with your podcast. Cool. He, yeah. said, he said, make sure the juice is worth the squeeze. <laughs> we talked Let's about that. go. <laughs> That's good. Yep. It's exactly Make right. Make sure the juice is worth the squeeze. So yep. you can take that to so many different things. So <laughs> cool. Thank you. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate You're it. You're welcome. Take care, guys. Cool. Chris, thank you.